guys, it's time for our favorite subject, credit scores. Yep. How we doing? What, we living in the sevens? More like in the sixes? Couple in the fives? And are there some fours out there? Listen, it's not fun, okay? When your credit isn't in the best place, makes life hard. And, and you know, the better your credit score, the easier it is to get the stuff you want or the less you have to pay. So the question is, why is it so hard to raise your score? Now it won't be. Thanks to Experian. They've launched Experian Boost, a brand new way to instantly increase your credit scores for free. Man, I wish we had this when I was a kid and my mom's credit was not great. And they were like, hey, if you want this car, you're going to have to put down all the money. The entire price of this car you're going to have to put down for us to believe that you're going to make the payments. And that was rough. Anyway... A higher credit score can help you establish and get access to credit and preferred rates for the things you want and need in life. Experian is on a mission to help boost America's credit score, which will help millions of people across the country build and get better access to credit. For the first time ever, paying your utilities and cell phone can instantly improve your credit score because with Experian Boost, it works by giving you credit for the bills you're already paying through your bank account, like water, gas, electric, cable, and cell phone. It used to take months to see your credit credit score rise a point or two. With Boost, you can increase your credit scores instantly. Boost is free to use and only available from Experian. I can't believe it's taken this long for someone to do this. What are you waiting for? Experian Boost can potentially help you establish or increase your access to credit. Boost your FICO score instantly for free. Boost is only available at Experian.com slash curious. That's E-X-P-E-R-I-A-N.com slash curious. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck, and I'm your host, and your name is Listener, and that's what you do. You listen. Guys, this is incredible. I am actually recording my intro for the first time in my Cadence 13 studio with, you guessed it, engineer, producer, extraordinaire, Kevin Richter. Give him a fucking round of applause. God damn it. Jesus. What what a dream. Listen, the reality is I was here interviewing someone very exciting that you're going to get to listen to in a couple of weeks. How how great is it being a subscriber to the Curious Podcast? Only okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that quick of a retort. Um, but listen, I could give you some razzle-dazzle right now. Cover the events of the... Oh, you know what? This I found very interesting. This I took issue with. So the other night, Sunday night, like, I think they're called like the Walindas, the Flying Walindas, the Soaring Falindas. I don't know. They were this family of carnies. They're carnival folk who <laughs> who walked a uh, tightrope across Times Square in New York, uh, live on television on ABC Sunday night. Very big event. A lot of publicity. Michael Strahan hosted, and Michael Strahan, he don't host no schlock, okay? Strahan takes it fucking serious, and I respect that about him. But here's what I don't understand. You know, there was that guy, there was a documentary about a guy that when the Twin Towers um, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, this guy strung a wire, I think it's Man on a Wire, I believe that's the name of the doc, it's very literal, um, he, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt played him in the theatrical version. Enough of that. You think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's happy? He's probably stoked. Random tangent. Anyway, there was a guy who crossed the, the World Trade Center on a line 
tight roping with no safety wire, nothing, like would have plunged to his death. Cut to 20 years later, yet another reason why we, the millennial culture is ruining everything. No, I don't know who's ruining this, but they have this huge event on ABC, two hours. I mean, we know the walk's going to take 10 minutes, but yet we tune in at eight o'clock to hear like, you know, Donna, the safety coordinator going, it's really windy. I don't know. It's so windy. It's the wire is shaking. We might have to call it off. This is so dangerous. And then uh, around 8.30, one of the lovely hosts mentions now, it is a New York mandate that these flying Walendas wear a safety wire while attempting this stunt. It's New York mandate. And in fact, we've known that people have died before with the safety line. And this I don't accept. Listen, I don't think anyone should be hurt while doing these things. But if you gotta do it, you want me to... There was a safety wire. What are we talking about here? They might as well have been rock climbing at an indoor rock climbing gym. There I, I just, I don't like this. This does not feel like it was living up to the hype. I feel bait and switched. And then before the guy walked across the wire, they cut to him and he's got on like, he looks like he's going skydiving. Like, is there a parachute in there? I mean, he was in a full body harness. This I can't get behind. Now, granted, I didn't see the end of it. I hope he was okay, because if, if, if something bad happened, this rant is going to come off incredibly insensitive, like psychopathic to a certain extent. But I don't know. I just felt like, this. yeah, uh, this, was not, this was not fair. This did not live up to the hype. And that's my grievance for the week. Listen, these rants, it's all about observations, these things that I pick up. Also, can we just talk about for a second, is the main page on Twitter being run by a 14-year-old? Because whenever I go to trending my For You, it's always like, Kim Kardashian's pet dog is shipping their neighbor's dog. Like, I'm like, who's writing this? Like, I, I just don't, I, it just feels very, like, you know. I want the main page of Twitter to be like, you know, the New York Times, or if you're a Republican, whatever you read, you know, but I want it to feel like substantial, not like, you know, some 15 year old girl who just listened to, a, you know, a little Uzi Vert song is, you know, sending text messages to her best friend via Twitter and I got to read them. You know what I mean? No shade on them. They're 15. But why does it have to land on my Twitter page? Guys, today's show. Get excited. This is huge. Hayes MacArthur, a good buddy of mine, a great, great actor. We were on an Amazon uh, show together called The Rebels, which was a pilot that was very not picked up by the network, but very fun to make. Um, Hayes has been in so many different things. She's out of my league and, and she tried Becca and it's got a bunch of dope shit coming out. Uh, super troopers too. And he's, uh, he's just such a talented and sweet dude. And, uh, I felt so lucky that he did the pod. So please enjoy Hayes. Guys, let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business or your project. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. That is so true. I was recently looking for someone to do some work for me, and it was rough. Rough. 
I was like, I'm never going to get this time back. Where do you go to find the talent? How much will it cost and how can you be certain they'll deliver? Thanks to Fiverr, finding the right freelancer doesn't have to be a struggle. Recently, I used Fiverr and it was like, thank God. I wasn't like combing the pages of some weird website looking for some for hire kook that I can't even trust. Look, Fiverr's marketplace connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. You can find what you're looking for instantly search by service delivery time price reviews and more and there's no surprises you'll know exactly what you're paying for up front no negotiating needed take five and check out fiverr.com and you will receive 10 percent off your first order by using my code curious it's so easy don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to f-i-v-e-r-r.com code curious again That's Fiverr.com. Code curious. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Four tracks, so like you and Jay and then an interview guest could have a mic. And then you just like on the road. How many can you get in? Three? Oh, this, four jacks. This one's only two, but you can get one with four. Yeah, it's easy to overthink this stuff and think you need like a studio and a soundproof room and a send. No, you just no. go on the road. It's great. And talk. I'm fucking portable, baby. <laughs> I don't know when a conversation's going to happen. I just got to have my mics ready. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, I feel like I should carry that with me. Just always have them. The kit, yeah, in the car. Yeah. Ready to go. You should. I have a little, um, like a reporter's, like a two-channel fancy, like, you know, in the movies where they hold it up to the guy's face. Yeah. And I'm like, should I be carrying this? Like, I'm an audiophile now. You could do like a Billy on the Street, but just with podcasts. Yeah, you never know. Well, see, this is like when you came in, we immediately started having a conversation. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, should we be saving this for when we're like on the podcast? Because the conversations just happen when they're happening. Totally. So you might as well just get them. Oh, yeah. I mean, now in real life, I have a hard time actually. It's like, it's funny when you do things like this, you don't, it's, you don't know where the line is of I'm like, can we save this story for the pod? Yeah. Right? But when you do that, you put the brakes on a thing to save it. It doesn't, it's never fresh. It's never right. And it's canned. I was even thinking, because we had been talking about doing this for a while and I'm like, thinking of our shared experiences and what we were going to talk about. And I was just like, no, fuck that. We'll just talk and see what comes up. 
because it can feel too canned. I tried to mark marinate early on because obviously I look up to him and like go. He's very good at going through like a biography and a little bit of yeah. you know what was your childhood like? And oh, your father was a coal miner. That's crazy. You know about coal in Virginia? Like I don't know about fucking coal in Virginia. Right. Like, but then I interviewed Pete Holmes and he had a great because uh, you know he has a great podcast and I said. After doing it for six years and interviewing so many amazing guests, what have you sort of garnered from that? And he said, just have an intention. Know what you want to talk about. And you don't, it doesn't have to be pre-qualified. You mm -hmm. just have to be in, find a little bit of a hook. Like, I want to know more about Hayes in this way. Mm -hmm. And that's all you need. It's interesting. And it's, it freed me up. Yeah, I think if you do start going over people's bios or or asking them their stories about experiences that people have heard about before, it's yeah. not what you're going for. So it, you were the doorman in Curb Your Enthusiasm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I going to say about that? I'm like, oh, I got to come up with my Curb story. <laughs> I know, right? You have one? I do have a Curb story. Uh, so I, I was the doorman in Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> I did a little research. <laughs> That's my, uh, I, I made him like a full character name. I made him like Bob Doorman instead of just like a profession. Those are the worst credits when it's a profession. Yes. <laughs> like waiter, oh. doorman. And then if it's a number too, waiter number two. Yeah, number two. <laughs> Not good stuff. The worst. Yeah, I had a whole backstory to that guy. Uh, no, Did you? No. I showed up to do, I think it was one of the like fifth seasons of, of that show of Curb and I did this quick scene outside of James Beach down in Venice, and it was an episode where Larry had lent uh, Richard Lewis $1,000, and then Richard Lewis uh, went and spent it on something and had a party and didn't invite Larry, so he was trying to get into the bar. So I was like, that's longer than my scene lasted, that story I just told you. <laughs> but I, w I went down there, and it was the last day of filming on the whole season. So they had like a huge catered lobster lunch at the beach and everything. And I just went and uh, treated it like I had been there all season and celebrated with everyone and all the hard work we did. Were you digging in, eating lobster and popping champagne? Yeah, it was like, we did it, guys. <laughs> we, we did a full season. Great job, Jeff Garland. <laughs> but that's another thing. You don't rehearse any of that stuff um, on that show. Like, you don't even go over the directing beats or how you're going to block it before you do it. Really? Because he doesn't yeah, want anything said out loud. Did you audition? I did. So how did how did you audition? The audition, um, have you auditioned for that show? No. Uh, it's just a suggestion, like an improv suggestion that, you know, it says you are, my, my audition story for that was really kind of funky. I, uh, my agent called me before and said, are you comfortable saying the N word? And I was like, um, no, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> you, is and this, this is like question? years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've never been good, but the it, the the suggestion was you're a guy on a telephone uh, talking on a cell phone at a hospital who says the n who says the n word and and Larry's in the bathroom and he overhears it. Mm. So that was literally my audition for that show. Is I had to like come up with a situation and say that word. He like put it into the show somehow, right? Um, but it was right on the heels of the Michael Richards stuff that happened at the comedy store. So I didn't end up doing that role. Um, I just went in and survived that scenario. And so they threw me this uh, incredible doorman role. Is, um, 
so who's reading with you in the audition, doing the improv with you? A casting director? Yeah. And are, you know, casting directors, for better or for worse, and there's some brilliant ones, but many of them are like, are at least from my own experience, I've gone in for auditions and it's literally like you get nothing right. from them. So I would imagine improving is yet another skill set that would perhaps not come naturally. Right. I, I yeah. I, the improv auditions, I think you just have to. It's not like doing normal improv. You just have to run them. You got to get what you yeah. need to get across, and then, and then leave. <laughs> what and how did you feel on the day? Did you feel like you got in some good, some good zingers, or you just kind of did the role and went home? Oh, on the day of shooting that, yeah. Um, that's it was a lot of pressure and fun because you know when you do stuff, you kind of the longer you work in uh, film and TV, you kind of trust that it's going to be edited and they'll find something. You yeah, just have to like it'll get have there. that in the back of your head, not be afraid to die on the vine in a moment or not try to make something as hilarious as it can be and push it because it's gonna it goes by so fast, you know. Like, yes. 22 minutes of a television show or 90 minutes of a movie like all that stuff gets cut out and you just kind of are looking for one or two moments right or laughs so when it we all have moments right where it doesn't go well or like it just doesn't it's not finding its stride what do you think that is Is like as it would apply to improv is it that you're forcing the agenda or like you want it to be something that it isn't you're not being malleable what do you think that is that's a good question i don't i think it's probably different every time and i've also been surprised where i felt stuff hasn't been going well on the day i'm talking like television shows that <laughs> you're like this show isn't working. And then it comes together and you're like, oh, that's really funny and it works. And then I've been in, in scenes with actors, like especially group scenes on comedies where we're laughing so hard while we're doing it. Yes. And we think it's, and it is really funny because we're laughing. And then when I see it in its final form, you know, whatever was happening while we were doing it doesn't make it in. Mm. So it's a, uh, I don't know. It's a, moving target i guess i don't i think there's probably some more factors in i know all, all i know is like what makes me laugh in that particular moment right. and then that's all you can do because i think um the format determines a lot of it does it have time to breathe is it going to be rushed are you trying to follow story what like you know is it a show that can go a little on on tangents and allow you to chase some weirdness and then come back to the plot or does every joke have to be on story mm. um and that's kind of one of the things i think about more now doing comedies like can you make a joke that's on story because that'll have a better shot at making it into the final thing it's and for the listeners just you know we were outside of a bus depot so if you're hearing any ancillary sounds it's uh yeah we're we're getting real street vibes over here yeah this is the subway this is the end of the stop of the santa monica train have yeah you, have you ridden a lot of the the LA? los angeles uh public transit yeah well especially the rail lines that they put everywhere no it's pretty great do you do it i i took it downtown the other day yeah and it was this train runs parallel to the 10 and i was literally looking at people in traffic being like i'm winning i'm doing it i'm, I'm, I'm beating you, you guys and, <laughs> i figured and it out it's all born out of you just took the leap to be okay uh you know i feel like la people just aren't willing to take that leap to yeah. try it well now you can take the train to the main part of where you want to go and then hop 
a ride share. So you don't need to go. It's, yeah. Come on. They got to figure it out. I mean, I grew up in Chicago and there was the L everywhere that right. you could take. So I, I like it because you can read and do stuff in a train that you can't do in your car. It's funny what you were saying before about the improv and like when you're on set and you're trying shit and everyone's cracking up and then sometimes it doesn't make it to the final cut or doesn't translate. I was I interviewed my buddy Sam Laybourne the other day who's like a really successful TV writer. And I said to him, I was like, you know, in a half hour single cam comedy, especially network stuff, it feels as though there's a fear to deviate from the page. And he said, well, A, in most cases, it's been trouble shot for a month, right? He's like, so we went through so many levels of approval from the network because they've ripped it to shreds. And we finally got these words approved that we're afraid that if we throw them something random, they're going to be like, what the fuck? Like, we're yeah. going to approve this. He said, but more so, he's like, listen, he's like, I've been in that scenario where we're coming up with shit on the fly and it's fucking great. He's like, but it's hard to tell whether it's great because it's just new. Because we haven't heard that yes. joke since the table read a week and a half ago. And now, you know, we've it's the 18th time and it's just not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. He's like, and sometimes you get into the edit and it's just like, oh, no, that joke worked. And it's actually superior. But we just thought on the day this other shit we were doing was so great because it made us yeah. laugh, you know? And then you could, right, shoot yourself in the foot because yeah. you went away from it. Yeah, isn't that the thing? You just have to try to get it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just hope. Yeah, something gets made multiple times. The one in the writing process, then when you're doing it, and then again after. Right. So just, yeah. Um, but be open to it, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the important thing. I, um, I interviewed Jeff Garland, and he talked about Curb. And I, I asked sort of, I asked him Larry's process, and he said, there's never a fear that we didn't get it on the day. Like, He's like, there's nothing scary to me about improvising. He's like, because especially in that scenario, I know we're going to get it. He's like, but he's like, I've had Larry call me at the end of the day when we'll have done something. And the, the rare occasion when it, it just isn't right. And he'll say, I could have written that scene better. Mm -hmm. I could have given it better borders or parameters mm -hmm. in which for us to play. He's like, and then we'll reshoot it. He's like, that happens a few times a year. But otherwise, we know we got it. But it, that's interesting to me that Larry would say, like, I could have written it better. R writing it, meaning set the table better with, like, exactly. what people are doing, what they want. And the, yeah. Yeah. I love that we've talked about my doorman credit. And this is because. <laughs> 20 minutes in. <laughs> hey, we made a We're TV still, show. <laughs> we, we did. Dude, going. that fucking show broke my heart. That, that was, was fun. fun. Wasn't it fun? It was really fun. It was a good group of people. And it was actually, it was the first time that Amazon had made TV shows, right? So it was the yeah. first season of, uh, of, their, of their show, of their network. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good, good group of people. We, I remember us, so we were like with Transparent mm -hmm. and Mozart in the Jungle and like Bosch or some shit. And I remember like... I remember doing the show and I'm like, this is pretty good. And a buddy of mine was like, don't worry, bro. You're going to get fucking picked up because they just want to sell shoes. Yeah. They were like, they're going to come watch your dumb show and they're going to stay and they're going to buy fucking toilet paper and Amazon wins. And I was like, oh, we're a shoe in. If that's a business model, they just want eyes on the website. Yeah. 
And then they picked up five pilots and we were the only one who didn't we get didn't ordered. Get and we won the popular vote because remember we, they had like a that was you the could thing vote online with it. Yeah, I don't think that was a real. Uh, that was real utter process. bullshit. Yeah, we got uh, we got Al Gord. How about <laughs> how about when they took us to dinner a week before they didn't pick us up? <laughs> Hollywood is fucked up. That's happened so many times. I would have thought, that was, but at that time you're like, yep. They're expensing a dinner. They must think we're going to go. A tavern in Brentwood. (laughs) That ain't Shake Shack. That's a nice spot. It's a nice one. Yeah, that uh, that was a remake of a HBO show, First and Ten, right? Was it? Yeah. There was a show about a professional uh, football owner, a guy who won an NFL team, and then he dies and his wife takes over the team. And it was the same show. They kind of remade it for Amazon. No way. Yeah. That's what we were doing. <laughs> I, oh, shit. Yeah. I had no idea. Did they know? I think they knew. Or they that's just how stole it was it. described. <laughs> that's a fine line. <laughs> There's oh, no residuals man. in any of this. So they just probably were like, let's do it. Different situation. Guys, is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you because you can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. And guys, listen, I mean, getting help from a wonderful counselor in, in, in just your beautiful home setting, what more could you ask for? No commute, no working about parking meters. Did I get validated? Didn't I? It's too much. Look, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. Licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, I got that, stress, yep, anxiety, they're literally diagnosing me, relationships, anger, LGBT matters, grief, and more. Anything you share is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. They have 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And I'll be honest, guys, I've been seeing a therapist for more than half my life. And look at me. I'm the picture of mental health. No, I'm I'm kidding. But the reality is, is that in my life has been dramatically improved by having someone who is a professional to talk to, 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 to know that there's always a resource out there for me to feel confident um, to talk in a way that will allow me to express what's really going on inside. And, uh, and I, I so hope that for you. So, Best of all, here's the good news. It's a truly affordable option. Curious with Josh Peck listeners are going to get 10% off their first month with discount code curious. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash curious. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash curious. I mean, now, obviously, like knowing you from the show and knowing you... outside the show and and also for myself and looking like at all the pieces of that show like that to me is so a perfect part for you you were playing sort of like uh slightly beyond your peak quarterback who like talks shit was like but like super charming and and a bit curmudgeonly like i'm like he just crushes that shit (laughs) i was like the fucking neophyte like in over his head, kid. Right. Avion was like the loudmouth, crazy wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone was cast so perfectly. 
And I remember watching the pilot and I was like, this is special. And then I remember it getting canceled. I'm like, I know fucking nothing. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. And the ones you feel the most confident about are sometimes the ones that the most people see. Wow. And then the other way happens all the time. That was a good group. Jay, so the director of that was someone who allows for Jay Chandra Sekar directed that. And that was a lot of like, let's get what's on the page, but then let everyone yeah. go crazy with it. Is that where you guys became friends? Um, yeah, that might have been the first thing we worked on together. Was that, yeah, was that pilot? Billy D. Williams was in that pilot. I know, Lando Calrissian. <laughs> Holy shit. That was an interesting one because he's so good. And I remember him being like, what was he, mid 70s when we shot I it? I think so, yeah. And it was, it's not him, it's any sort of older actor when you have to like remember a shitload of lines. Mm-hmm. It just becomes a little harder. Yeah. With, I remember I, I had like a similar doorman sized part in this Al Pacino movie. And, but my two scenes were with him and I was a valet. And I was like, bet, I'm, I'm doing this. It's Al fucking Pacino. And we're sitting like this in between scenes and we were kind of chatting. And, and he just looked at me and goes, oh, I'm exhausted. He's like, I, I can't star in movies anymore. I'm in every scene. And I was like, that's amazing. I was like, he's oh, he's tired. I did a movie with David Carradine and he had his lines. I hadn't, it was like, I was excited. I'm like, oh, he's probably been in preparation for months on this role and he's memorized this monologue. He just had him on cue cards in the back of the, you're like, yeah. Oh man. All right. Um, so you do, and did you and Jay immediately uh, get along because you're both Chicago guys? That's that's fu- yeah, we did. We started um, talking about those shared Chicago experiences, and yeah, we could hold for those sirens, but we don't give a fuck. There's gonna Keep be going. sirens. There's gonna be trains. The big blue bus just came by. Yeah, they're in the bus station right here. <laughs> <laughs> that movie came out right as I was getting out of school. And it was one of those things, like those comedy DVDs were so valuable to have because you'd watch them again and again and again because mm. they were sitting there next to your DVD player. And that was one of those ones like Tommy Boy and uh, Super Troopers that you just always, <laughs> always had around. Yeah. You'd watch it no matter what was going on. Yeah. Did you... In Chicago, were you like, uh, did you do any of the Second City stuff or or any of that? I didn't do um, comedy in Chicago. I started doing uh, stand-up out here when I first moved out here after college. Um, I actually came out here a little before I graduated college. I got, um, I I I don't call it suspended from college. It was like a long time out, and they told me to go study somewhere else for a while. Why? (laughs) I... uh, I got into, uh, I went to a, a small school uh, in uh, in Maine, and I got into like a, I'd say a slight altercation one night, like a physical altercation. I hadn't been in a lot of the, a kerfuffle. You're so masculine. I, I went, <laughs> that was not in my, I could count on two fingers the number of fights I've been in, and that was one of them. You played football there, yeah? I played football there, yeah. D1? Uh, D3. I. Yeah, there is no D4. <laughs> <laughs> So you weren't on an athletic scholarship. I wasn't on that. No scholarships. Uh, but I felt like I was playing, you know, the Coliseum. Sure. The stakes, you know. You're like, I'm in fucking Portland, you look into this. You look into the stands, there's 20 people, and you, you see in your mind 20,000. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so I had come out here to... Uh, Wait, tell me about the fight. So the fight took place, and uh, I wasn't able to go back to that school for a semester. And so I came out here and... Um, Who'd you fight? The coach? Uh, a guy who did I... Uh, a guy who was on the soccer team, actually. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm imagining you beating up Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> We had beers the next night. It wasn't like one of those uh, street, like where the whole school was divided over it. But it ended up changing, you know, what I would do and where I'd live and where I'd raise my family and what profession I would go into. <laughs> there. Your whole world can change in a moment. Were you performing at all before that? Or like, can you track any moments in your adolescence or teen years where you were like winning talent shows? Or uh, My brother is an actor as well um, who lives out here and we always kind of uh would do stuff like imitate snl sketches yeah and, and uh do theater in school and comedy and plays and maybe our mom uh who was single for a while she'd bring boyfriends over and like pimp us out like do your hans and Fromm sketch so that would be like my my start to show business <laughs> solid but then when i moved out here um yeah, went to theater school for a while in, in New York, but then wanted to start performing, so stand-up was a way to do that. And how were you received when doing stand-up? Like, how did that go? You've done stand-up a yeah. lot of it. Yeah, I mean, it's the toughest uh, learning curve, I think, of any kind of performance. Yeah. Because if you're a bad singer, you can just make it through the song, and you don't know you're bad till the end when no one claps. But, but when you're telling jokes, you get... To die like every 30 seconds. Yeah. If it's not working. And then you got to figure out how and why. So it was fun. I remember um, going to those open mics in Hollywood and just having thoughts when I was on stage. Like, I wonder if I could dig a hole from the stage and tunnel out the back so I don't have to walk by people oh. on my way out. It's yeah, a, shame is the greatest school. It's always weird being at the the uh, what, the original room at the comedy store because the comics. I don't. I mean, I feel like the main room. There's like they have the comics at least kind of have like their own specific lane onto the stage, so they don't really have to interact. Mm -hmm. But in the OR, it's smaller, and so like. Literally, I was there like two months ago and like Mark Marin walks right by 10 tables to get on stage or Neil Brennan or Joe Rogan, whomever. And like, if you don't have a good night, like you got to fucking, that's a real walk of shame. Yeah. By like, and then like, of course I was there and all those guys performed and they were, they all killed because they're so good. And like, there's a part of me, like when they're that close, I'm like, I want to give them a high five. <laughs> like, were they writing on stage or were they doing like material? Half and half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like a low key night, but they were all good. I mean, Rogan was fresh off a special. So you could see that he was like, all right, I got to now get a new yeah. hour. Um, so he was trying more stuff, but like Marin brought the house down and Neil was so funny. And That's what's really cool about living in Los Angeles is you can see those people like those great performers work on their stuff yeah in your backyard and they're not giant rooms you know there's probably what 50 people in there at that yeah you don't know 50 when, 100 gonna, people and they're finding it and figuring it out and yeah it's cool to see that um did you do a movie with the rock 
I did a movie with The Rock. Early on? Early on. I like your early work. Another football. <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> you really did. You combed through this, <laughs> through this resume. Um, yeah, it's around here. How is he? I did a movie with The Rock, and I think he weighed like a hundred. There's the train again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the train's just getting in. It's coming into the station. It's, it's the, uh, the 115 special. Wow. Everyone on the train is... Giving the bird to the people in cars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did a movie with The Rock when The Rock got really skinny for the movie. Uh, it was called The Game Plan. Mm. And I think he was going through a time in his career where he was just not trying to be a big giant wrestler like a big guy. And he was um, he was small and slight. And I put on like... 50 pounds because it was a football movie and I thought it was like a real football movie but really it was a Disney movie with a little girl and a dog with a tutu. Cute. <laughs> so I didn't need to do all that. <laughs> Could have just shown up. I was going like full immersion into this football role. I'm like, well, if I'm playing a tight end and The Rock's playing a quarterback, tight ends are much bigger than quarterbacks. And then I was just fat for a couple of years. <laughs> for a couple of years? Yeah. That's my fear of ever putting weight on for a role. Because you, you can't get it off. I mean, I, only because I was fat. But like, yeah, going through that pain of having to take it off terrifies me. I don't ever want to go back there. You Were you large at one point? Oh, yeah. I was, I was 100 pounds overweight. 100 pounds over. I, I was eight? 290 from... Thirteen to nineteen on on television. Yeah, no, I knew that a little bit. I had to, I had to fish it up. Those are formative years. I was fat as fuck, Hayes. <laughs> That's what made you curious, though, dude. My you knees, got... <laughs> like my knees were. were you had knee problems? <laughs> no, my. Oh. I would have. What yeah, do you think man. it was? Was it diet or like? Also, you were doing shows and you were really funny, and sometimes you know. Fat is funny and funny is money. <laughs> it is. Fat is funnier. And people tell me that constantly on Twitter. <laughs> like, they're like, we miss the old you. I'm like, maybe you're just the old you. I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. It's because there's something like approachable. I feel like people feel more, com you know, it's like when you see certain stand-ups, like Dane Cook's a perfect example. And he always got a, a, a tough sort of ride from people maybe because he was like i don't know they felt like he was too confident but like if you remember he was like really funny but then he kind of wanted to be like the hot funny guy uh -huh. and people resented that and i guess there's no room for vanity in comedy yes yeah, someone told me um once the more i'll mess this up the less power you have off stage in life in terms of the way you're perceived the more you have on stage. Right. Like if you, it's, it's, it's like a thing, an allowance of like, now we can see you and laugh at you. So different handicaps can come across as being like in, endearing and they want to hear perspectives and they want to hear what your experience is like when you have a microphone. I could see that Dane did get a little backlash for that. Right. Like yeah. people thought, what the fuck's this guy doing up here? And it's, Tank tops with his tight shirts and his cool jeans, his cool ripped boots. jeans. Yeah. Now I think there's like like Rogan's fairly confident. Dalia, Chris Dalia, um, Theo Vaughn. Like I feel like they they are sort of of the camp of 
I don't care what you think. Yeah. Like, fuck it. And and they're supported by the fact that they're funny as hell. And so it, it can work. But I don't, you know, I I don't remember comedians ever looking like that. Like, to me, it was always... You know, it's like to me, the com- a comedian is Jeff Ross or David Tell as far as looks go. Yeah. Like kind of either portly or the nebbishy guys, you know, smoking with the baseball cap on or Stephen Wright. Mm-hmm. But, but a good joke's a good joke at the end of the day. Yes. I think if you're trying to make a career of it, though, you do need to have some through lane or yeah. kind of thing that people can see you through. Trains out of the station. Oh, no, that's a garbage yeah, truck. Garbage truck. <laughs> Or one helicopter short of a full <laughs> municipality. <laughs> yeah, like what about when comedians change? Well, this is like externals too. Like you can have a beard or a big goofy pair of glasses or mm. wild hair, which has nothing to do with really like what you're saying. But the way people see you is like they can already be laughing before you've opened your mouth. Right. Yeah, it's a little trick. Look, the reality is, for a lot of us, our relationship with credit cards can be complicated, to say the least. Maybe you got a couple, maybe you can't get one. But having a credit card can feel like the ultimate freedom, but they can also get you into a lot of financial trouble. Listen, I think you all know if you listen to my podcast, I did not grow up with a lot of De Niro, scratch, I was not flush. And sometimes we had to lean too hard on some credit cards, it, it just was stressful. But but I want to tell you about a new kind of credit card company called Pedal, and it may change the way you think about credit. A new approach to credit. Pedal is a new credit card company that wants to help you succeed financially. Their mobile app is designed to help you spend responsibly, which is especially great if you're just starting to build credit. You wonderful youngins out there with your new credit, so adorable. Listen, there's cash back, so Pedal wants to help you build your credit score. That's why they reward you when you pay on time. Earn 1% cash back right away and 1.5% cash back when you make 12 monthly on-time payments. And with Pedal, you can qualify for higher limits, yes, but that doesn't mean you should always spend to that limit. Pedal's app lets you track your credit card spending against your own personal budget. By the way, their lawyer says I have to mention that Pedal partners with WebBank member FDIC, which issues the card. So it's about time there was a smarter more modern credit card company that wants you to spend responsibly. Go to pedalcard.com slash curious today to find out more. That's pedal with a T, pedal, P-E-T-A-L, card.com slash curious. Um, are you taller than The Rock? <laughs> I think he's probably, he's bigger than, is he around here? Do you see this? Uh, oh, here's the helmet from the. Really? Wow, guys. We've got artifacts from the movie. Uh, no, I'm not as tall as The Rock. He's he's bigger. I wonder what it looks like, though, like the like thin rock, like lean rock. Yeah, the, the, the svelte rock. Svelte. Yeah, a piece of flint. They called him flint. <laughs> I mean, the guys, I'm like, I'm so, I, I might respect The Rock more than Daniel Day-Lewis because like, I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis for acting might be born with more natural talent. I, I'm just going to go out and say that. I'm sorry. But what I respect about The Rock is that fucking work ethic is him being like, I might not be Daniel Day-Lewis, but I'm going to work my balls off so hard yeah. that I'm going to be the biggest fucking movie star on the planet. Yeah. Right? And not stop. 
Yeah. Not worry if you've got three or four projects coming out at the same time and a TV show Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a reality show. And a game show. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, saturation. Yeah. That's the strategy. The Kevin Hart model. Yeah. Was he that way? Like, did you observe any of that work ethic back then? I'm sure he had it. So we were in Boston doing uh, this football movie and, oh, he had it. Yeah, it was up, you know, he was up working out 5.30 in the morning and then shooting 12 hours and then going out and hanging out and dinners and then doing interviews and promoting it while he was doing it. It's just nonstop. Do you follow him on Instagram? I do. You ever seen those cheat meals? They look fucking awesome. The the which ones? The cheat meals. Yeah. The, the sushi train <laughs> and the chocolate chip cookies with the peanut butter in the middle. Yeah, he, he's got it. I, I watch those. Like, he's got his own gym, right? You mm. see him working out with music in the morning. And, yeah. Yeah. Is there, do you feel that? Because you're a good looking cat, and I feel like you would get cast for not only like the funny roles, but also like the good looking guy roles. Do you feel a uh, pressure to stay in shape? Um, I just stay in shape because it makes me feel good Mm. and I like try to stay active, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if I thought of it like consciously tying it into whatever, you know, if I get a role and I have enough advance notice to do some work, I'll try to make that whatever I want it to be. But usually it's just whatever you're into at that moment, however you're looking, like if you've shaved or not shaved and then you go in and that becomes the thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, well, it's just, it, it's a fascinating thing, right? Cause I, I look at you and like how much success you've had and, and work. And obviously we did that show together and then, and I've been really, you know, sometimes I, I can get in my own head about it, but really if I look at my career from a macro level, I've had like a lot of success and been incredibly lucky. And yet, funny enough, we reconnected a month ago at the same fucking audition mm-hmm. for a pilot. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, I don't mean to project because I know this goes through my head. Are there ever moments if you're like, when is it enough? <laughs> like, when have I done enough to not have to sit here <laughs> and beg for this next role? Yeah, that's so funny. It's <laughs> so great. That was fun, funny running into you. That's one of the like parts that I feel really lucky about working uh, in a creative field is that you can have an experience with someone for two weeks, three weeks, a month, three months, really get to know them. It's like going to camp with a bunch of people. And then you know a lot of people intimately when you see them in different situations. Whereas if you worked one job for 10 years, you'd only know those people like that. But you just get to meet a lot of fun, cool people and running into you is like that. When do I ever think, I, I, I just think it's part of it. You've always got to put yourself out. If you want to do anything interesting, you've just got to keep eating shit and, and putting yourself out there and not take it personally. And Are you good about that? I've been on the other side of it for, you know, a couple projects. And, um, and I know it's literally not a personal decision, you know, like when you're going in and auditioning for something. It's just there's so many factors that are coming into play that maybe I'm just protecting myself, but I walk away and I go, yeah, it's about them. I'm good. What's next? So you don't really like uh, a bad audition or maybe you get really close on something and it doesn't happen. You don't wear that rejection. Like you can, you're, you can shrug it off. Early on I did. Yes. For sure. Um, But yeah, now it's, no, I just think if I really, really 
connect with something and want something, I'll just, my expectation will be if I can do that as best as I can for those five, 10 minutes. Yeah. That's it. It's great. I mean, I remember that and I'm trying to get better at that. And, and I think, you know, obviously you have two kids, mm -hmm. like having a family and I have, I have a, a brand new baby, I think helps give you perspective on all things. And, and if it doesn't, your, you know, priorities are fucked up. Yeah. But like, it's, it's funny even like, it, and maybe I'm just a neurotic or maybe I've actually been in the business long enough to pick up on these subtle cues because that audition in particular, remember, first of all, seeing you there, I'm like, well, they have, if they're bringing you and I here, they have no idea what they want. <laughs> like if we're reading for the same role, I'm like, do they want like the ultra good looking, like, you know, fucking quarterback guy or do they want like the nebishy Jewy, like, is he 21 or is he 32 kid? <laughs> like... But I remember I was sitting there and I did the, it was two scenes and I did the first scene and it went rather well. And I'm like, and I could see them kind of like, and they gave me some notes and they were like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, let's hear the second one. And I just ate shit so hard on the second scene. Yeah. And I saw them kind of just like, I saw it click in their eyes of like, thanks. Right. Yeah. Like, no, right. we thought maybe you had a glimmer of hope, but right. no, you're not it. That probably not even, you know, what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Hayes? I'm not reading this right. <laughs> I, it, it, I've stopped engaging in the hypotheticals of uh, even after when you get a job of what's going to happen and conference calls with people. And that, like, all right. But it's like uh, watching all like so the NCAA tournament is on right now. The Sweet 16 and our, our the, the March Madness is on in the background of of Josh and on our conversation. And I think of there's so much content created about the hypotheticals of what's going to happen. Right. But you don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that part of the industry is um, less interesting to me now, like the predictions of what's going to work and why it's going to work. And I just trust there's other people that know more. <laughs> So what does it look like besides like putting on 50 pounds to play a tight end or something when you get a role, what does your preparation look like? Like what, yeah. What does your prep look like? I think it's different for, um, you know, each, each thing. I just did this, uh, this Blumhouse, um, horror movie, uh, as part of their, uh, they're doing this, these Hulu movies called into the dark. Mm. And so I got to play a, a serial killer um, which is something I hadn't done before. And that was uh, a, a fun, great experience for me because I was more in like kind of looked really different and it was all uh, darker and I got to play with different level. It was just like something that I had. I wouldn't have thought, oh, I'm going to prepare for it like this. I just did what I you know had studied or known to, to do. Right. Um, and then other times I know, I rely on the people I'm working with to prepare and I know like if those relationships are good and I show up and it's going to be, it's going to be all right if right. I can do it like that. Um, the, the multi-camera stuff is differently cause I, you, you got to prepare it like a play and figure out like your blocking and where you're going to be when you, you know, you might actually lock in how you're going to say a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you just got to repeat it. And you got to repeat it that way. And if you don't, it can confuse people. Right. <laughs> so, that's different than doing it like in a single camera way where you might be able to interact more with someone. It seems like on a single cam or anything that's not a multicam sitcom, like multicams to me feel like truly music. Mm -hmm. And it's like 
you can you can add a little zhuzh on a note, but like that fucking note has to land on the fourth beat. Mm-hmm. It has to. Like and on anything else, you could be like, no, 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 I'm going to change the time signature and I'm going to turn this into a fucking waltz and yeah. it's going to land on the three or maybe it'll land and maybe it's six eights and it's going to land on the six. But if you try that on a sitcom, they'd be like, what? Who do you fucking think you are? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think people know that enough that there's different, like you think a half hour comedy or a movie, there's different things that, yeah. that you're doing and preparing that uh, depend on like how it's being presented, like those multicams, you you do it's a play. You got to go in with it, like knowing it and having the timing, and be right on top of it. Right. You don't get time to like find it or do a little stutter step and improvise. You know, yeah, it's a different right. um, a different rhythm. Do you when? So when you're when things have gone really well, I'm always interested to hear this. Like in in those few experiences, like I know it's funny. I I always think about the Rebels that show we did on Amazon because I remember. I think what why I was disappointed in that experience, not disappointed in the experience, disappointed that it didn't go, was that besides that I liked the final product. I liked the doing it. Yeah. Right. And like to your point, like Jay allowed us to try shit. And like you were already working off good material and then you could also be like, well, maybe I can beat it. Maybe Mm -hmm. I can beat this joke or whatever. So like when you've had those experiences where you felt like really great, what can you attribute that to? Like is there something a director does that you're like, you fucking get it? Like you Mm -hmm. get me or – Yeah, that's um – that's a great question. I, it would be like an allowance, like mm. a license. <laughs> like anyone that's giving you a little runway and time and, and encouragement, yeah, that would lend itself more to an experience like that right? rather than a mistake being like, let's start over and try to get it right. Right. <laughs> no, no, let's just keep doing it, you know, see what happens. I think it's definitely who you're working with collaborating with yeah on every level like the writer and the director and the other the other actors you're doing it with it's interesting how people um that's the uh seven train coming from Santa Monica. <laughs> i love i i don't feel bad that this episode is gonna have some background noise because we're calling out all the the train schedule it's part of it and we'll get a good honk in there. If you can time up the train honk with some of the stuff we're saying, it could play nicely. As when well. the <laughs> chopper lands, I'm ending it because we got to end on a chopper. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> I was expounding on the organism that is <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> Just so much actor nerds. <laughs> um where did you study as a kid? Did you just go right into working or you learned everything on the fly? It feels like you'd be someone who put yourself into a situation and figured it out. I um, I went to performing arts high school where I learned nothing, but except that it's cool to want to be an artist. But like, you know, their programs weren't necessarily laying the groundwork for like great theory and mm-hmm. uh, technical training. And then I moved to L.A., but I'd gotten by on being like a chubby, funny kid without any chops. And then I auditioned, I remember, for I was 13, and I auditioned for Touched by an Angel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And 
and a friend of ours was a casting director or was a manager who sent me that. That was the working title for the Michael Jackson uh, documentary that just came out, right? Before <laughs> they, they, they couldn't get the rights. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it was. It was Touched by an Angel. Touched by an Angel. Did you see Kyle Dunnigan's impression of Michael Jackson? No. Oh, you know who Kyle Dunnigan yeah. is? You have to watch it. I haven't seen his Michael Jackson. It's fucking... I don't want to do it for you. It. It's so... I'm pulling it up. We're yeah. gonna watch. I, I want. Yeah. I want to hear you on on Mike listening to it. It's pretty good. But I, uh, I watch his Kardashian stuff. It's hilarious. Oh man, what his Caitlyn. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> um, so you but, were auditioning at without like you were in the high school. Yeah. So I just auditioned. I remember the casting director told our friend who was a manager, like really sweet kid can't fucking act <laughs> like not good and i was like cool so she put me in this like very well-known kids acting teacher acting class and i remember i was in class with like now i look back i was like that was crazy it was like evan rachel wood and may whitman and um you know just like uh dakota fanning like all these really great actors and it was this guy who came out of the neighborhood playhouse in new york so it was kind of like meisner based but like super helpful mm-hmm and then, and I did that for six years. So that was like my training. Yeah. But then recently, kind of had a challenging experience on this TV show I did um, for Fox, where I just was like, "You're not a good actor, Josh." <laughs> like, yeah. and that's a tough thing to look at at thirty when your whole identity is wrapped up in that. And I was like, "Ouch!" It wasn't like I, I was like, "I know I'm not awful. Like I know I'm serviceable." Yeah. But it felt like I I had these. Um, bad habits for lack of a better word then i'm like these things are like keeping me from being great or like as close to great as i'll ever get like i, I have these things that i know and they're either born out of tension that's, yeah that's it, like the, the mostly probably defense stuff that you learn yes and then to learn that when you're a kid is yeah. like but part of your survival and like yeah and then you get to the point where you're at your age it's like but that that happens like whether it was in show business or not that would happen at your age anyway <laughs> like, yeah the stuff that's working for me isn't working as much i gotta find new tricks i gotta retool my game i remember i did the the show that it happened on was a show with, with john stamos and stamos would say things to me like and he was he was right on, and he he was being nice about it. But I was so offended when he would say this. He'd be like, "I think you're finding what makes you funny as an adult," and I'd be like, "Fuck yourself!" <laughs> like I'd be like, "You don't know me, John." Like, positive framing, but he was right. Active. He he was right. He's like, I think what he was really saying is like, you're dropping that old shit that doesn't work for you anymore. Yeah. But it was so fucking painful to let go of that old story. Yeah. Um, Especially when you've been really rewarded for it. Yeah, but it drove me back into class two years ago, and I started studying with this woman, Sharon Chatton, in Venice, um, who's, you know, basically, Vincent D'Onofrio, who I had on the pod, is one of my manager's clients, and sorry if this sounds incredibly douchey, it feels douchey. I heard he pops in there a lot and teaches, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, that's cool. And I met him like three years ago at a dinner my manager had, and he said, if you want a true method experience go to Sharon and I said great and I went in there and she ripped me to shreds and after three or four months of cursing her to my wife every night when I got home I was like 
She, this woman is evil. She's abusive. This yeah. Me. I did not sign up for this. This is wrong. She is stomping <laughs> on the I've spirit. been in SAG for over <laughs> 10 years. I invested. I have full benefits. <laughs> I have full health coverage for life. I'm not plan two. I'm plan fucking one. <laughs> and I have a pension. <laughs> this woman is stripping me down. <laughs> the first day I walked in there, she goes, Josh. And she stops me to see and I'm like, yes. She's like, this is you. And she proceeds to walk like a Neanderthal. Cause she's like, you <laughs> she's like, you are so closed off because I was 300 pounds. So the way I hold my body is to kind of minimize it. She's like, so you in scenes, like, and she likes and she was literally mimicking me. And I'm like, I will murder you here in yeah. front of a room of actors. Like, it's like I because she was pulling the covers off. You didn't even know. Yeah. The, yeah. I feel like when you get married, it's a similar thing. Yes. <laughs> Someone can look at you and be like, you are a Neanderthal. Oh. You just never had anyone you'd had to answer to that was letting you know that that's what you were like. You're like what do you mean? This is my thing. I don't listen. <laughs> like, right. I drink a lot and I don't listen. What's wrong with that? It's like, cute. No. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. People love it. <laughs> yeah, you got to put it outside. That's, That's right. it's hard when you uh, you get married, you have kids, you don't hang out with your friends like as much anymore, so you don't get the piss taken out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so much easier to get up your own ass because <laughs> you don't have someone cutting you down, telling you you walk like a Neanderthal every ten minutes. You know. Is how long you've been married? Um, ten years. So that's like in and in, in Hollywood time, that's twenty, right? <laughs> it's infinity, isn't it? Yeah, that's legit. Yeah. Has oh, that really? been a, a anchor for you? Um, you know, it's funny you said in Hollywood terms. I don't know any other way to to. I just know my experience with it, so I I don't think of it as being part of entertainment. Yeah, like I think of it. Like, this is my life and these are my responsibilities and this is how I've learned to deal with stuff and I want to it's not right and then I figure it out and then that's not right and I try to figure it out. that's how I treat it um but I think that yeah the real challenge is when people are working away from each other and having all different experiences how to keep it um you know on track as being an important thing that you value and again not I don't mean to project but I want, I don't know, like your wife is a successful actress and I, I always thank God that I don't date an actress because I worry that I'd be jealous if she mm -hmm. was successful. Like it would be too close for comfort. I remember I did this movie with Chris Hemsworth who was like literally like you, like it's just fucking salt to the earth. Like is a handsome guy who's also nice, which I can't wrap my head around. Like he's just a fucking beauty, awesome dude. And this was right before Thor. And I remember that he got really famous. And it was like, nothing changed about him, but we couldn't be friends anymore because he was too famous. What do you mean? <laughs> it was too much. <laughs> For you? Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. He had a bubble around him. I couldn't, the bubble. Well, he had a giant hammer and he was huge. Maybe he Dude. was scared. I mean, it's not like he's been hitting me up for months. <laughs> like, I'm not returning. Like, he ain't hitting me up. But it just, it was hard. It was a hard thing to be around because I was like, like I am always, which is always in between gigs. And maybe that's going to be a year. Or maybe it'll be a month. But mm -hmm. not knowing where the next job's coming. And he had such a rocket of stardom. But I could just kind of do some self-preservation and remove myself and be like, my ego can't 
quite handle this right now. Right. Oh, that's right. But in your partner, if they have that moment, you have to be pretty like evolved and mature to like be completely separate from that. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot, like to your point, a lot of it depends on where you are. Right? Like, yeah. If you're feeling good about what you're doing. It's easier to root for everybody else. <laughs> yes. And then you just play that mind game where maybe it's just better to root for people that you love and like because you want that for you too. You right. Know, and that's how it works. And you've seen enough of the do si do of uh, how careers work and how kind of unpredictable they could be and and even from project to project or momentum that you just really don't know you know so it's it's mo- it's a moving thing in terms of like who is working a lot so you feel like chris you know what would it take for you to then be comfortable with him again i don't <laughs> even know it's just a mindset <laughs> it's my ego man it's your ego. <laughs> ego won't allow it <laughs> He was so famous. I remember they gave him an Acura. I was like, you get an Acura when you become oh, Acura famous? Acura famous. Yeah, an wow, SUV. That... He's like, they fucking gave me this Comet. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. Acura. <laughs> fucking <laughs> Acura, mate. I was like, fuck, man, you're car famous. He had, I remember he got that in an Xbox, and I was like, Hollywood's not fair. Oh, Xbox. Just They just gave him. You know, yeah. I was like, you have a Microsoft hookup and Acura? <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Free shit. You're getting free shit famous. I mean, it was funny when I've been with my wife for like eight years and, and early on I remember and I had such I had such wonderful things and like stories I would tell her about working with Chris and we spent four months in Detroit and to your point you become like camp friends. Yeah. Like we would eat meals together, work out, go to the movies, like bullshit with each other. And she'd be like, Well, why don't you invite him over for dinner. like Yeah, and that's like a whole different thing. The inside jokes, <laughs> you got to open up. and Yeah. And I, and I just looked at my wife and I was like, oh, I was like, you poor civilian. <laughs> you don't get how it works. But I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. There's pluses and minuses, not just entertainment, but working in the same field with your significant other mm. is like it, there's pros and cons to each like if one person's a doctor and one person's an archaeologist and they come back okay that's one dynamic to early if they're both doctors that's another uh, thing that they're you know bonding over and talking about and relating to each other's experiences so yeah I don't think it's one way or the other it's just how you deal with it I did have a interesting moment the other night at the dinner table with my two kids and my wife and I asked the question uh how was everyone's day? And everyone started talking at the same time. <laughs> Maybe that's a family of actors. <laughs> hey, so your kids are actors too? No, no. My no. kids are, are, they're not, they won't be, but they're around a lot of right. energy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have you and your wife ever come home after the same bad pilot season audition and just been like, fuck this business, like just been low at the same, on the same day? We've had a lot of exciting experiences where... We moved the family to Africa. Um, Allie was doing a movie down there uh, last year in South Africa for, wow. um, for like three, like like had to put our kid in school over there. It was for three and a half months, and then I had to leave to to do a series here. And so then I had to. That became like, whoa, that's real. Like to leave a, a six month old and a, and a four year old in South Africa while you're in L.A. Then you're like, oh, that's a that's a real. Uh, 
kind of life thing to deal with. The two people can be, a family can be separated by employment. Um, and it was great because we were working, which we always come back to as being the most important <laughs> appreciative thing. But yeah, that's a dynamic shift where if you're in the same field uh, as an actor, it can get, you got to figure that out. How is South Africa? Have you been? No. Uh, it's really an incredible place and a place I didn't know that much about until I got there. And there's so much historical, uh, racial, and economic nuance and divide that when you just hit the map and you get there, it's so beautiful and, and food's amazing and there's so much fun cultural stuff happening. Like, this is amazing. This place is great. And then you realize that there's some other forces at work in that country and it can, it can be a very dark um, place. So it's wow. just like what you want to focus on in that moment. Um, but it, it's incredible. And it was, it was amazing to be there, not just for like a week or two weeks, but to really get into a groove there and, you know, make friends and hang out with people. It was awesome. You were in Cape Town? In Cape Town, yeah. Sick. Yeah, it was great. I love it, being able to say, I, I do it with Detroit <laughs> and I do it with the south of France because I just love to be like, like, I lived in the south of I France. I lived, yeah. What qualifies how long? For you to say you've lived somewhere? Five weeks. Five <laughs> <laughs> Five, five weeks. <laughs> Extended stay. I knew the streets. That's that's also the qualification for you to say, how, how long do you guys date? You dated her? Yeah, five weeks. Yeah, five weeks. <laughs> five weeks. <laughs> I love it. Five weeks. I think five weeks you could live. It's strong. Strong. Extended. Extended stay. Extended stay. stay. Yeah. It's like three vacations worth. <laughs> you need to know like a couple street names and some restaurants that you can just survive a conversation yeah. Yeah. Um, Where have you gone on location that's your favorite place to spend time while you're working? Weirdly, I didn't like South of France that much. We were in this little town called, called Montpellier, which was like really pretty. And like. And it, you pronounce it like someone who lives there. I know. Thanks. Five weeks. <laughs> this will be interesting to see if it happened to you because you have a young kid. So I was, I, I do not believe in, in, in censorship and even had problems with like a rating system. Cause I think you could like maybe make someone think differently about a piece before they see it. If you give it like a R or a PG 13 or a PG. Sure. But now that I have kids and they, they're in the back seat of the car while I drive around, they're in car seats and they look out the window of the car all the time. I'm kind of into like a little censorship for stuff like billboards. American horror story billboards and terrifying images that are coming at them every two seconds. Cause now I'm having a conversation about no snakes don't really come out of people's head to a six year old. I don't need to be having that conversation. Right. And so it's influencing even stuff that I would want to do, you know, like, okay, if I go do this crazy horror slasher movie that, uh, how am I going to explain that to the kid? Like, yeah. what's the input going to be? And it'll be interesting to see if that starts happening um, with you. But I, I, well, but God, I do sound like a dad where I'm like, that billboard's ridiculous. That's <laughs> so scary. Because <laughs> I know it's going to make me, it's going to take me another 45 minutes to put my daughter to bed because she saw that fucking billboard. Yeah. So take it down. My three-month-old literally in the last uh, three or four days has woken up to displays like and i don't know if just his eyesight is better because i guess as an infant you know like when they're first born all they really see is like shapes yeah. and light and then 
every week it slightly gets a little better and they can see a little further away. So now we put him on this little like dock thing on the couch and we'll always have the TV on when we're like cleaning and he'll kind of just play and look up. But now he's glued to the TV and yeah. And it's anything. I was watching fucking Ides of March, like Ryan Gosling and Philip Seymour Hoffman this morning. But your child is very political. So. A, I don't want to <laughs> say pun. he's a prodigy yet. How did you get to be a pundit? I mean, my, my father showed me Ides of March. Laying the groundwork. <laughs> and, and and he's glued. Like I, it was, you know, when things when you have a kid and you're like, this is too easy, mm-hmm. and. I remember like there was 20 minutes went by this morning where I'm like getting shit done and he's not bothering me. <laughs> and I'm like, this is too easy. And I look over and he's glued to the TV. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, that's bad, especially at this age. So then I turn him so that his, the top of his head is facing the TV and he's looking at the couch cushion and he's trying articulating to... his neck. Yeah. Trying, and I'm like, uh-oh. They want to see the most interesting thing in the room. But really, when you've never seen anything before, you know, that fern should be the most interesting thing in the world. (laughs) Look at the fern. The fern's new to you. I've been looking at the fern for a long time. You should look at the fern. (laughs) Then you'll get the iPad when you're you're bored at looking at the fern. Yeah. Like, look around. Like, your fingernails. Go stare at your fingernails for 10 minutes, baby, because you've never seen fingernails. Yeah. But you got to be on top of that. They're born with soft vision which tripped me out. And the other thing is all babies are born with descended chins so yeah. that they can breathe while they, while they breastfeed. So they wow. get you know, their, their things back. And then the soft cranium thing was interesting because they can they fit through the canal. The fontanelle. The, the, yeah. What is it? The, the little the fontanelle. soft spot fontanelle? Is that yeah. what it's called? It's <laughs> yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> it's called the fontanelle? Yeah. God, I feel like that would be like... Some amazing uh, restaurant in your shooting location in France. Have you guys been to Fontenelle? <laughs> They've got great rosé and shrimp. <laughs> Fontenelle is a soft spot on the baby's head. <laughs> Have you ever had the charcuterie board at Fontenelle? At, at Fontenelle? Oh, my God. Fontenelle and Abikini next to Jolita? It's right next to that uh, department store, the umbilical cord. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen... When your kids were babies, like I can see my son's heartbeat through his fontanelle. Oh yeah, is that weird? It's crazy. Yeah, the, yeah, because the skull hasn't fully congealed yet. It's like plate tectonics. Yeah. On the, but right before you showed up, I was checking out that uh, the flat Earth documentary. Have, have you heard oh, of it? Weird. Or no, I, no. I think it was made satirically about a this this guy. Uh, Paul Logan, is that his name? Made a documentary about flat earthers. Mm. But then, this was just what I was just getting into. I don't know if he then started believing it as he went down the wormhole. Oh, weird. Uh, yeah, weird. Um, to think that I was coming off of uh, plate tectonics and the formation of baby skulls, <laughs> for those of you. I just can't understand the flat earth thing. I-, I wish I understood it better, but I all I know is that it's not fucking real. And if you believe it, you're crazy, right? But or should the, I watch the doc? It, it, it's it's one of the great things and the, the worst things about being able to get information anytime you want it is because if you believe in something that's crazy, you can more readily find people that agree with your craziness and reinforce your your opinion. Right. 
it's if I type in flat earth, I got all these people that can believe it with me or the anti-vax shit is the same way. Like you could just be the canary in the coal mine saying stuff. And then if you can find a critical mass of people who believe the same stuff you do, it then becomes more of a movement and real. I'm just fascinated. I, I do this thing and I, I did this rant the other day about like climate change and like the people that are anti-climate change. And I'm like, I just... We only question science when it's um, convenient. <laughs> you know, like if you were dying because you got shot in the middle of the street, there'd be no part of you when you're getting launched into a hospital where you would be like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Don't bring that machine in here. It's yeah, too fancy. That's not my fucking politics. You'd be like, help me now. Don't do everything in your power to save me. <laughs> right. Don't use years of like hundreds of years of scientific insight to save my life. Yeah. Like, and yet, I don't know. And the vac shit is crazy. Like, because it's so, like, basically, and I'm going to get fucking skewered for this because it's such a hot topic. But, like, I basically did all the research and yeah. saw that it's complete bullshit, the, the anti-vaccine. Well, it started with one study. I think that's it. It was right. a small that sample size that was debunked. So it was one scientific study that had a very small sample size. It's since been debunked, debunked, debunked. Yes. But, you know, there's a lot of fear around parenting. And I think when you're making decisions for your kid, um, you don't want to make the wrong ones. <laughs> And so something like that feeds on this kind of primal insecurity of, you know, we're just trying not to fuck them up. Right. <laughs> and that's one of the ones where if you hear about it, you don't want to be the person that did that to them. Um, so it's an easy one to spread. But it's, it's also really important that it gets kind of like put away. Oh, man. And did you – so you have a six-month-old. So now like they're on what, like their third round of shots? No, I right? went through it. My youngest is now, you know, a toddler. But um, – oh. We we did, I we I, what did we do? We just thought we just tried to make it gutty, right? Like we were like, okay, however many shots I'm giving to a baby, or or so we spaced them out. You know, right. we did all of them, but we didn't do them in the same appointment. Yeah, you do it we over figured, like a year and a half. Or, yeah, like or even weeks or months. But it's like they should have all the shots. Well, first of all, do what you want. <laughs> You know, right. like, I'm not here to yeah, have a friend and tell you what to do with your life or your baby's life. Yeah, like you're completely within I'm your right to let your I poor, did. sweet baby get fucking polio. Yeah. Anyway. But if you're feeling if you're feeling edgy about it. Rubella is so in right now. It's hot. It's next to Fontanelle. You've been to Rubella? It's the, it's the bakery. Next to Sounds Fontanelle. like a club. Fontanelle. Like, should we go to Delilah or Rubella? Right, let's go to Delilah. Let's go to Rubella. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, I gave my kid, he's three months, so he, you get your first round at two months. So I, we gave him, you know, and it's like, it's three shots um, the first time. And, and of course, any parent is going to look at that and be like, fuck, really? Like a baby? Yeah. Three shots? And, and we did as much vetting as anyone could and felt like confident and our doctor's great. It was funny holding him because it was the first time he felt pain. Mm -hmm. So my wife couldn't like even look. And I'm holding him and I'm like, this is some dad shit. I'm like, dad's got this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like holding him and he gets the first shot and he takes like a champ. And even the doctor said, she's like, these next two like are a little more like they pinch, you know, so he's going to feel it. And I saw the second one go into his leg and he just looked at me like, how could you? Yeah. Like, how could you let this yeah, happen? You, I, I, in, my, in your arms, I'm not even safe. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only place I know to go. <laughs> it's into your arms. And and I'm getting poked. 
fuck you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the whole, like, yeah, all those early decisions. Circumcision, poking them with needles. <laughs> Crazy. Circumcision like, was I'm not fucked prepared up too. to make this decision. <laughs> what qualifies me for this? Did you have that moment? I was in the. I was always like, my kid's getting a fucking circumcision. That's it. I'm a Jew. It's happening. We didn't do a brisk, but we, you know, basically my wife gave birth. And the next morning, the doctor comes at the hospital. It's like, okay, I'm here to give him the circumcision. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then I follow her and I'm standing outside. It's like, it's about to happen. And in that moment, I go, it's fucking barbaric. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't know. You're, you're at this like crux of. Yeah. Yeah. It, I definitely. Now that issue. I see all sides. <laughs> Me too. I, I understand where everyone's coming from. From a, and it's just one of the things you just make a personal decision and then you know live with it because it's not anything you can fix later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I remember listening. I think Pete Holmes on his podcast with Jay Duplass talked about how he's like, at least the Jews have it right in the sense of they make it a ceremony. Yeah. Because like for thousands of years, it's always been like for a male, like like their first blood out, like the idea of bleeding for their existence mm -hmm. or whatever that looked like. So there's like a ceremony around like this first sort of entry into in quotes manhood or whatever that looks like. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, my wife is Irish Catholic, and I, I didn't want to put my in-laws through the whole idea of, like, a bris and this, like, wacky moil coming in at, like, eight days old and been like, listen, we're going to cut the dick, then we're going to eat bagels. Get, on, get the baby a little drunk, give him some wine. <laughs> yeah. That's normal. So we didn't do it. That actually would be the part the Irish Catholics were like, we get that part. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it with whiskey. With the wine? Okay. Right. Oh, man. You're Irish? Well. Yeah. I mean, I'm... Uh, I'm a mix of many uh, things, but I would Anglo. do. I, it's like, what do I identify with? I had a couch growing up that was made out of a Scottish tartan. <laughs> so then I was like, "Cool, okay, I guess we're uh, yeah, Scottish via Canada, like most of uh, some of those northern uh, Scot Ireland Scottish. They went to Canada first and then came came down. Solid. Um, it's yeah. funny too. I never identified with. And I, with any culture other than I'm, I'm an American, right? Like is what it is. Yeah, Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Cubs fan. Yeah. But then when you have kids, you start thinking of like, oh, all right, we're going to get a dog. What are we going to name the dog? Let's do something grounding. And what's my great grandfather's name? <laughs> like, let's keep that spirit alive. Yeah. Somehow. Like, yeah. You start reaching back into the, to the past. Um, isn't that, that's interesting I don't know how it was for you. Like, I don't know if it's if it's Jewish um, lineage or like generations before mine, where it's like I don't know if there because there was such a mass exodus, so there was like a rush to get away from your not a, there was a rush to get away from your homeland. So like a bit of ancestry was lost because like I remember growing up asking my mom like, where are we from? Like mm -hmm. what's where? And she had no fucking she had no idea like where she's like grandma's not from America, but I don't know where. Oh really? That that's a quick yeah. She, she didn't really know. She's like Russia Ish. maybe. <laughs> and then like I I met with my grandmother's cousin, my my 
cousin Edie, and she's like in her 90s. She's like, your grandmother's from Warsaw, like yeah. from Poland. And like her mother was like in Warsaw and like, and I was like, oh, that's like ground zero for like Jews, especially during World mm-hmm. War II. And, and, but I don't, and I don't know what it is. I, I, it feels as though like a bit of that, like whenever I hear someone who knows their family tree, like generations back, like none of my Jewish friends know that shit. Right. With that particular, that's a good one to keep alive, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you got to keep that in the spirit of like, this is where they came from. This is why they had to leave. This is what got them here. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of shared experience with that. You know, when you start, you connected with a relative that told you that your mom might not have known it. And there's always like a couple storyteller. Like my brother knows a lot about family history stuff. Mm. And there becomes like a keeper of the flame, <laughs> you know, like who knows about this stuff? Oh, go ask uncle Stash. He knows. And he kind of can tell you more about family members and stuff. And that's a, a useful role. If like you stay in touch with a lot of your uncles and aunts and stuff, there's usually one that really knows it. I did 23 and me where they like take your saliva and find like your DNA. They track it all the way back. You want to know my 23 and me result was? 99% Jew. That was the result. That's it. Hey, did it say Jew or did it say Jewish? Jewish. East, <laughs> Jew. Jew. 23, Jew. 99% Heb. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how the test works. So it comes back. It's it's not a regional. What, what does that mean? Like it, it came back. Eastern European Eastern Jew. Eastern European Jew. Yeah. And Which said that on the thing. Is it like getting te- like a, it doesn't have a explanation or anything it's just a number it had a big explanation about like how i'm more susceptible to thinking cilantro tastes like dirt (laughs) (laughs) you'll love the restaurant rubella (laughs) yeah it was just i think it's because the jews were clannish (laughs) my family trees is more cilantro please (laughs) i don't get it i don't like cilantro no, should not be anywhere. It's cousin of parsley. It's weird. <laughs> and my genetics, do. they don't want me to have it. You know, cilantro is just a way of feeling less guilty about eating shitty. So you throw some green stuff on, on something. On your burrito bowl. On your burrito bowl. <laughs> You're like, oh, I got the greens in there. Um, that's uh, The best part of anything like 23andMe is when they tell you your athletic type. And I, I don't know if like, I don't think anyone's getting bad news with that. But like, so for me, it said, your genetics are those of like a power lifters. And I'm like, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, and I wish they uncover a scandal that 23andMe is just a bunch of dudes sitting in a basement getting stoned, (laughs) making up the results. (laughs) There's nothing scientific to it. They're like, what do you want to give Josh? Let's go with the power lifter. Let's just make stuff up. Let's see his picture. Pull him up. Oh, yeah. I'll tell him he's a Jew. 93%. Yeah. (laughs) It's not subjective. Yeah. It would be. I had a friend who grew up. He's as as Caucasian looking as I am. Yeah. And he thought that he had a lot of African-American blood in him because his brothers and sisters were African-American. And he did the test. And it... You know, it came out that he was not, he was, had no African-American in him. And his mom, whose brothers and sisters were half, were mixed. That's how he found out. Um, 
Yeah. Mom was stepping out. Mom stepped out. That's fucked up. Yeah, that's fucked up. There could be a lot of unraveling with those genetic tests. The best part is, I'm waiting for you to be like, and, and my friend Terrell was never okay after. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Like the jerk. Remember the beginning of the jerk? Hey. Um, Hayes, last question. I ask everyone on the podcast, what is your one or two Hayes uh, commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you, wa- you would want to impress upon someone else. Hayes commandments. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, like what, like a, a code, a credo of what I live by. Anything like that. If you just had a moment with someone and you really wanted to give them something lasting that is really important to you. Just, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I learned just by watching my dad interact with human beings yeah, is the, the old, I'll play the greatest hits here with this one. Hell yeah. The old, uh, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Just like Jesus <laughs> That's said. That's it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's the one. That was it. That was Hayes. It was so great. I talked a lot in that episode. You know, there's just some episode. Sometimes I listen to these back and I think I'm I'm the millennial Howard Stern. Like I'm Joe Rogan. I'm I'm the successor to Joe Rogan. Wow. Like this is this is gonna be flying up the podcast charts. And then other times I listen to myself and I go, shut up. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! But you know what? I'm aware of my I'm aware of my 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 you know weaknesses, places I can do better, and slowly but surely, week by week, I'm going to try to improve those things. And I'm sorry that you, as a listener, need to you know be witness to my very just microscopic um, improvements. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. This has been so great. Okay, bye.